Well, this afternoon, uh, we're going to have a child dedication. And while I'm talking about kind of introducing, please turn your Bibles to, with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. So uh, we do have a child dedication at the end of our service today, and so that's kind of exciting, and uh, we're glad to have uh, all of you here, uh, especially our, I want to, and I get a chance to go around and greet all our guests and visitors, our people, at least from, we're kind of just inundating all our guests, so I'm glad that you found us, uh, hopefully you found our people to be friendly, and uh, you know, we do apologize if we're asking 20 questions at times, uh, we just want to know you better, and uh, so we can better uh, serve you and love you. Uh, well... Uh, but in child dedication uh, that we're going to have, it is, we kind of realize that, that it's, even though we see our cute babies, and I think for young parents, and it, you can just, I think from an outsider's, at least before I had kids, I thought, oh, what a joyful time that must be, you know, what a wonderful thing it is to have little kids, it's so cute and cuddly and all that stuff. But as, uh, as my, per- my children are now born, and they're cute and cuddly still, uh, but as they're growing older, I, and I just, uh, I'm starting to be reminded that raising children is a war. <laughs> it's a war. No, yeah, it's a war. Teaching the next generation, whether they are our own kids or the students that are entrusted to us, many of you are Sunday school teachers, church workers, your, your counselors, the fellowship groups. In fact, I'm just amazed. Our junior high and high school fellowship is away at the retreat this weekend, but it's like, man, it's like full here. So like, man, it's really amazing. Uh, please uh, pray for them. They're going to be coming back this weekend. Hopefully, just really encourage in their walk. And just uh, you know, it's, we have a, a generation that we're entrusted, and we realize it is a real war. It's a war, not the sense that we're fighting with our kids. Okay, it's not. Hopefully, it's not that kind of war. But it's a war in the sense that there is a war for their souls. It's a war for their souls that's constantly ongoing. Not just a battle, but a series of battles throughout their life for their souls. A battle over truth. Because they live in a world that has a worldview that is completely contrary to the biblical worldview that we have come to understand and learn in the Bible. They live in a world that in, a secular, in our secular worldview where man is good and is getting better. Whereas the Bible teaches us that man in, its, in our heart and very nature is evil and we are getting worse. The secular world teaches that this universe is eternal. It's always existed. But the Bible teaches us that this universe is created by God. The secular worldview teaches that man is evolved in the image of animals. The Bible tells us that man is created in the image of God. In many other ways that the secular world holds to worldviews that are contrary to our biblical worldviews. And not only that, is there a, a secular worldview that is challenging our children and our, our, the next generation in what they believe and how they act. But there is the, their own sin nature that dwells within them. That sin nature that manifests in every, in every situation, every circumstance in life, that they're going to basically choose to obey the Lord or not as we teach them. And that sin nature that they have, well, unless, it is, unless they receive the grace of God that is found through faith in Jesus Christ, they will choose their, the sinful way consistently. We have a battle and we have a, a war that we're fighting for our children's souls. And we, we ought not to forget that. We ought not to forget that because sometimes I, I think as children, you know, you can... I can get our children, we can all get our children to behave outwardly in a certain way that will please us. We can get them to say thank you, please, 
We can get them to clean up baptism, not mess up the tables. We can get them to put, learn prayer hands and close their eyes and bow their heads. We can get them to even nod or take notes during sermon during the sermons. Yes, even that, yes. Instead of playing video games or whatever they're doing. We can get them outwardly to behave in a certain way. But always at battle in their hearts is do they, do they know Christ? And do they choose to follow Christ in every trial, and every circumstance of their life? It's a war. And so I've chosen today's passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, because it encourages us as Christians, as especially parents, but also for those of us who are teachers of children, and all of us who are disciple makers. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple maker, by the way. All of us to continue in and in, 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 in not abandoning the truth that God has entrusted to us, that we would live according to it, that we would believe it, that we would teach it and proclaim it to the next generation. We need to continue in our word, in the word of God, in the truths that we trust to us so we can be effective as those who prepare the next generation. Because the world is increasingly evil. And it's kind of one of the heartbreaking things as a parent is I know that one day I will not be there for my children. Well, it's probably coming soon, but, you know, eventually I will die. And I'm not going to be there for my kids. And how are they going to face this world? I hope before I leave this world, or by the grace of God, even before then, even way before then, our children and hopefully your children will have come to know that which they need to know in the scriptures that will prepare them for a life without us. Paul, in, this, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 15, writes to us, writes to Timothy as a man who's basically about to die. That's why I love 2 Timothy. I love it because it's words that a man will speak when he knows he's about to die. He's under trial in prison in Rome. This is, the second, uh, is, this, this, this is uh, beyond the, the prison epistle times, but this is probably around the time of Nero where he's going to eventually uh, be found guilty for his, uh, uh, for his Christian beliefs and then crucified. Or not crucified, but, but killed. And so he has a clarity of a, mo- of, a, of a man facing death. He realizes that what he's facing is inevitably what other Christians are going to face, especially his beloved son, Timothy. And he wants to say what needs to be said. He wants to call his son to himself. He, in fact, invites Timothy, please come to me as soon as you can. He wants to see him one more time before he dies. He wants to prepare, but he writes this letter to not only call him, but in case Timothy's unable to make it to him. He wants to prepare him for a life in ministry without the apostle's presence. He wants to encourage him in the things that really matter as a servant of God. Paul writes to encourage Timothy to basically endure in the ministry, to endure in the ministry of preaching and teaching and proclaiming and living for Christ. The key verse of this uh, of this uh, book is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. There, Paul writes with a solemn words. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. 
Of all the things that Paul would solemnly charge Timothy at the end of his life as he faces death, he charges him with the one thing that will ultimately really make a difference in Timothy's life and in the lives of those whom he ministers. Preach the word, Timothy. Proclaim the word. Be ready to preach it. When people, when it's in season, out of season, apply it in different ways, reproving with it, rebuking with it, exhorting with it, and all the time exercise great patience in doing it. Great instruction. But prior to this charge that he gives to Timothy, he sets up the reason for this solemn charge. What is the motivation for, for even this? That he would preach, continue to preach and teach the word of God. In short, in chapters three, we're gonna learn, we learn that the world, uh, Paul says to Timothy, that the world is going to get worse. It's getting worse as men grow from being uh, uh, evil to even more evil. And in light of that, people are going to basically oppose, not only oppose the truth, but they're going to oppose those who believe the truth. And we're starting to get a taste of that in our country today. And when persecution comes for those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus... The temptation for any man and any woman, any person, any Christian is to stop preaching so boldly, to stop living so godly, to stop believing so strongly, to stop holding on to these truths that we've, we talk about, we study, we, we proclaim so faithfully because we're afraid of the persecution. So Paul then writes these words here in verse 14 to 15. He says, while evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the world. It's going from bad to worse. They're deceiving people with their world, the unbiblical worldviews and their doctrines, and yet at the same time, they're being deceived. Paul writes verses 14 and 15 as the words of encouragement to Timothy. And I want to pick up and just read then 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'll read verses 10 through 17 just to give us the full context, uh, at least the fuller context of this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you know these words are important for us to hear. Lord, you know we need to hear them especially for those of us that are parents, but all of us who are teachers and disciple makers. Lord, we need to hear these words. We need to know, Lord, that 
we must continue in the faith that you've entrusted to us. In a world of increasing evil and wickedness, Lord, in times when persecution is arising because of our faith, Father, help us not to shirk away. Help us not to be fearful, to hold back, to be cautious. But help us to boldly, courageously trust in you and fulfill and continue in this ministry, in the truth that you've entrusted to us. Lord, cause your spirit to go before us and challenge us from your word. Especially, Lord, impress upon us the necessity of your word for training up, teaching, and raising up our next generation. In Jesus' name, amen. We get to the, this, in verse 14 then, this encouragement that Paul gives to Timothy. He says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Basically, in contrast to the world that rejects and turns away from the truth, the servant of God is to continue in the truth. This, word, uh, this Greek verb continue just basically has a picture of physically remaining or staying in a place in, literal, in a literal sense. But it's used figuratively here, basically staying or remaining in that particular sphere. And here it's talking about continuing in the sphere of the truth. What does it mean to be continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of? To continue in the truth. Basically, it just simply means to continue living by it, to continue believing it, to continue holding to it, to continue to uh, be guided by it in all the ways that we respond to the word of God, to the truths we learn. Jesus used this word continue in John 8, 31. He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. That's kind of instructive that what characterizes all of us, if we're genuinely disciples of Christ, we're followers of Christ, we're Christians, we're going to be people who continue in God's word. The things that we're to continue here, you have learned and become convinced of, I've already mentioned, it refers to God's word. And Paul will explicitly state that in the verses to come, that what Paul has, what what Timothy has learned and become convinced of is ultimately the scriptures, the sacred writings, the God-breathed and profitable word uh, that makes the man of God adequate and equipped for every good work. And Timothy is to continue in them, to follow it, teach it, live by it, God to be guided by it, and believe upon it. He is to keep on continuing in the truth. And we are to keep on continuing the truth. This is the, really the, just the main, uh, the main statement, the main point of this, this, uh, these two verses. It's the main verb. It's an imperative. It's a command. We are to continue in the things you've learned. Continue in the truth as those who are Jesus' disciples. And I would just point out two practical exhortations that, we, that can be made in light of this instruction. And first of all, it's just that if we are to be salt and light in the world, the world needs Christians to continue in the truth. The world needs us. The world needs you. We're to be salt and light. Think about salt and light. We kind of, Jesus talks about being salt and light. Salt being that preservative function, serving a preservative function to preserve this world from its corruption. Light serves as function to shine in the darkness so people can see. The world is dark. We are living in a world that is being corrupted by sin. It's undergoing decay. And it's also a world that's blinded in the dark. As Christians, we are the ones who God gives to be salt and light in this world. And if we're to be salt and light in the world, the world that needs us 
to the, those who continue in the truth so that we can proclaim and live it, right? They need us. We, the world is increasingly growing more wicked as it rejects the truth of God in many different ways. The, and, if the, and if the world does not hear nor see the truth in the church, then it's not going to hear it anywhere else. Secondly, another, a second exhortation as I think about this command here is that we need to be people who study the scriptures so we might learn and become convinced of the truth. You aren't, uh, uh, because the point is you can't continue in what you have not learned and become convinced of, right? So if you haven't learned and you become convinced of, you're not going to continue in. Parents, teachers, disciple makers, you can't pass on what you clearly don't know. If you don't know it, you don't understand it clearly, you're not going to pass it on. So it's like when my, you know, when kids ask, you know, kids ask us about like, oh, you know, how does the universe work and things like that? You know, like, yeah, um, you know, it just does. God did it. You know, you just, you know, you just really don't know every, everything, all the things that children are going to ask you. Why is it that way? Why, why, why? Oh, I don't know, you know. But when it comes to the truth, it's related in the scripture, we can know because God has revealed it in his word. But even more so, you won't pass on what you don't firmly believe is the truth. If you don't believe this book is the truth, if you don't believe it's, it's what people need, then, then people, you're not, we're not going to talk about it. You know, I, I've been trying to tell people that I'm a Warriors fan. You know, I jumped on the bandwagon. But after they won the championship, I realized that I'm not a true fan. I wasn't jumping up and down. I wasn't going out, yeah, warriors, in the middle of the night. I didn't light off fireworks. I didn't shoot my gun. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't go around telling everybody, all the warriors would, but high five, boom, 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 fist bump, everybody. I didn't go to the parade. I'm not a fan, okay? It's clear. I'm not a fan. I, 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 want, I say I root for them, I cheer for them, but let's face it, I, I'm not a true fan because I don't really believe in the warriors. <laughs> Repent. I'm, I'm repenting of that. I'm repenting of it. I'm repenting of it. But if we don't believe in the truth, we don't believe in the truth, we're not going to go out and tell others about it. We're not going to get excited about the truth. We're not going to pass it on to the people that, all, that are in our lives day, day after day. We need to study, and we would be people study, and so we need to be people study the scripture so that we might learn and become convinced of the truth. That's just the main kind of the main statement. But what I want to do is just for us, the remainder of our time, is to give you three points. Because Paul, Paul gives us here three things that you know about the truth that provide motivation to continue the truth. Three things to, that we know about the truth that motivates us to continue. And this is what Timothy, he tells Timothy that he knows and that, that should motivate Timothy to continue the truth. And it should do the same for us, whether we are parents, teachers, disciple makers. And the first point that we, we find here is found in verse 14. The first motivation to continue the truth is that knowing the lives of those who taught you the truth is the motivation. Verse 14 says, knowing from whom you have learned them, that is the sacred writings. Paul reminds Timothy of those who taught him the truth. Who taught him the truth? The pronoun whom here is in the plural form. So Paul has in mind multiple teachers. He's thinking about multiple teachers. Who are these teachers in Timothy's life? Who taught him the the word who taught him the sacred writings the truths well first of all 
Uh, Timothy would count Paul among those uh, as those who taught him. Just a few verses early in, chapter, in verse 10, Paul writes these words. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. Uh, Paul was faithful at, to fulfill 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. He would find faithful men. He, he saw in Timothy a great potential faithfulness, and he wanted to teach him so that Timothy could teach others. And he taught he poured his life into Timothy. That's why he even calls him my beloved son. Second, and probably most prominent in this passage, though, is not just Paul as Timothy's teacher, but it's, it's his mom and grandmother. Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 5 to Timothy, he says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that it is in you as well. According to Acts chapter 16, verse 1, Timothy had a, a Greek father and he had a Jewish mother who was a believer in Christ. And his Greek father, as far as we know, was not a believer. And so as, his, as, a, as a Greek, he would have probably taught uh, Timothy about all the Greek gods, right? He would have told you all about the Greek pantheon. He would have told him about the great philosophy, the great Greek philosophers that exist in their day. He would have given him a thoroughly, at least a Greek worldview. But Timothy was blessed to have a Jewish mother who was a believer, a believer in Christ. And she, as well as uh, uh, the, her grandmother, the grandmother Lois, had a sincere faith. That, was, that means a genuine, unhypocritical faith that was consistent, that which they taught and they consistently lived out before Timothy throughout his life. They not only taught it, but they lived it before him. And you see, one of the most important things that help our, the next generation to fall in Christ is not just what we say to them. That is part of it. But it's the model that we live before them, the example that we set for them. Having godly older examples. Timothy had Paul and he had his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. He got to see their lives lived out in accordance with the truth. And when you, and all of us have, should have those kinds of examples. Just think about who's taught you in your life the truths. Think about the pastors that have shaped you, the parents who have shaped you, the Sunday school teachers who have shaped you. Think about all the, the maybe uh, some of you have gone to Bible college and those, those have taught you. But I believe that what they taught you was girded by the lives that they lived. They only taught you with the truth, with their words, but they taught you with their deeds as well. And I believe that we all, we all should have people like this. Because if you are taught by someone who doesn't live the truth, I think you would have abandoned the truth some time ago. You would say, hey, that's, that's, that's a hypocrite. They're not living by what they're teaching. For my life, I can't help but think about my mother and the life that she lived before me. She died back in well, 2003 or so, so many years a while ago. But she was a one who taught me faith in Christ. She was a kind and loving soul and who despite having basically an elementary school age education, she grew up in the, basically in the countryside of the Philippines. Uh, she taught me more about love and forgiveness than any book outside of the Bible. She exemplified it in her relationships with our, our, fam my, our immediate family, our extended family. And 
I realized too, uh, just today, just while we were singing, she's taught me how to, how to face death. Let's reflect upon that. With trust in the Lord. Other people, others that God's used in our lives, in my life, I think about my, my pastor in Seattle who uh, shepherded me and a whole bunch of other young people. And the example he set to live sacrificial for the Lord along with his wife. And, and they did many things like that. And they set the example for us. They not only just taught about sacrificially li- being living sacrifices, they were living sacrifices for the Lord. And what so, I find so encouraging by his life is that he continues to do so. And we, many of you know him because he's one of our missionaries that we support. Think about those who taught you the truth. Consider their lives. Hopefully it reflects truth, the truth that they teach. Of course, no one's perfect, but the pattern of lives, I trust, reveals a faith worth imitating, a faith in Christ. And that's what the author of Hebrews actually reminds us uh, of to do in Hebrews 13, 7 and 8. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of conduct, imitate their faith. Those who teach you the truth of Christ should also be examples of Christ and faith in Christ. They spur us on to continue in the truth. And, and they teach us that we need to live the truth as much as we teach the truth. The next generation needs from us a sincere faith, unhypocritical faith, that the, life, that the words we speak are consistent with the life we live, that we, the powerful life-transforming truths that we, we convey are seen in the, in the transforming of my life and your lives. Our kids are watching and listening. They're, they're learning from us. They're repeating it. <laughs> oh, everything we're saying. They're learning either to be hypocrites or they're learning to be holy. What are they learning from watching our lives? So we learn from watching someone else's life. We know the lives of those who taught us the word. We learn from them, and so will the next generation from our lives. The second thing that motivates us to do so, to continue in the faith, is knowing the lifelong impact of the truth. Knowing the lifelong impact of the truth, that the truth impacts us for our whole life. Verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. And that, that phrase, and that, marks basically the second thing here that Timothy knows about the truth. A second reason, a second motivation to, for Timothy to continue in the things he's learned and become convinced of. The word, child, the word childhood here that he's learned is used to both unborn children as well as infant children, those who are just recently newborns. Uh, Some commentators believe, however, that this phrase, this term, refers to the Jewish requirement to begin teaching their children at the age of five. Parents, I'm going to tell you, don't wait till the age of five to start teaching your children about the ways of the Lord, okay? Don't do that. It'll be too late. Well, it's not too, never too late. You can start now. My boys are not even one yet, but I can tell they're already learning. They're already, they already can put words to objects. Give the ball to daddy. Give the, this, go to mommy. Where's mommy? And, you know, she looks to where mommy's at. You know, he looks to where mommy's at. They, they know, you know, they are learning already. They like to open books. They even have favorite books. You know, you just 
they, they just like glow and that, they see that favorite book, you know. Uh, it's not the Bible yet, but okay. <laughs> but they, his face glow. I mean, yesterday night uh, we had guests over and we were like, uh, we were just busy talking with our, our guests, uh, just fellowship with them. And our boys, right around that time when we read their bedtime, they went over to the books. I was watching the man, and they were like grabbing out the Bible and stuff like that. It's like it's like they were trained. Oh, we just booked, isn't this Bible reading time, Daddy? You know, they're just pulling it down. But no, I don't know if they're thinking like that. They're just up to doing good. But they like to open. They have they have favorite books. But as a parent, my prayer for my sons is that through my uh, my impact and my wife's impact upon their that their favorite book and their most familiar book would be the Bible. And I hope that they will, they will want to, to uh, they will love this book. They'll want to be in this book. They'll recognize the, the value of this book because of its lifelong impact. You know, every, every night we try to read the Bible to them. And, and I think that's just one practical way that parents can, can train up your children just to get them reading the book, to become familiar with it. For Timothy, his most familiar book was the sacred writings. That was the most familiar thing to him. Uh, this is the only place in the New Testament this term is used, but it basically refers to the Old Testament scriptures. That's what the Greek-speaking Jews used to refer to their scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament at this time. It wasn't complete. So it's really the sacred writings refers to the Old Testament. And the idea of sacred implies that this is divine. This is from, of God, that these writings are God's writings. These writings are God's word. Paul would make that explicit in the next verse when he says all scripture is inspired by God. You know, the words that we have, the sacred is that we have in this book and is God's word. That's why it has such a lifelong impact upon our lives. And it will have a lifelong impact on the lives of our children. You know, along with the Bible, uh, we read to our children other books. And, you know, some of them right now, they seem to kind of like a little bit more than the Bible. Uh, but they're getting, I can tell, they, they know because I always read the Bible first. Or at least, the, you know, the children's version of the Bible. But then, you know, we read other books like Baby Faces and Smile. And, you know, I think their favorite book, because it's all chewed up, is Bard at Play. I'm not sure, but it's all chewed up. So maybe that's it. Yeah. And... I'm thankful for these books. You know, there's nothing wrong with reading secular books because they teach, you know, facial recognition. They teach a lot of things, uh, teach music and instruments, pushing things, interacting with books. But I know that by the time uh, our children, as they grow, they're not going to keep coming back to baby faces. They're not going to, in college, they're not going to go look at smile. You know, when they're about to get married or they're making life choices about career, and so, they're not going to go to Bard at Play. At least I hope not. <laughs> I pray, my prayer is that because of, that we've taught them this holy scriptures, that they will keep coming back to this book. This book alone has a lifelong impact. It addresses children from when they are young infants. It addresses them as they grow up to be little children, toddlers. It addresses them when they start going into those odd tweener years. It addresses them when they become teens and start exercising their independence and the, uh, against you know, parents. They'll address them when they're in college. It will address them when they're in career, when they're getting married. It'll address them when they're having conflicts in life. It'll address them when they're facing illnesses and diseases. It'll address them when they're facing death. 
we teach them rightly. My prayer is that they will keep coming back to this book because they will know that this book that they've learned from their childhood has a lifelong impact upon them. In every circumstance of life, they can look to this book. Put all the books in the world together. Gather their best ideas and put it into one book and they will not come close to the impact of God's word. And for us as Christians to make perfectly clear the application for us is this, that we have nothing more valuable to teach the next generation than the truths of the word of God. That's, that's clear. Nothing else you teach them will impact their lives here and into eternity than this book. Now, parents, teachers, and disciple makers, we, we need to be committed to teach our children the ways of the Lord. That's what we're going to have in child dedication. We need to remember Moses' words in Deuteronomy 6, 7, when he talks about the, the words of God, we shall teach them diligently to our sons and talk of them when you sit in our house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. We need to remember Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, when he tells fathers, don't provoke your children in anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. Let us covenant together like a ch- as a church. We're a community. It always takes a, well, I'm going to talk about that later. We're gonna, it takes a community to, to raise up a children, to do what's good for our children, to do f- what's for the glory of God, and that is to teach them, to pass on to them the sacred writings, the holy scriptures, the truths of God. We need to continually do so. Because we know those who've taught us and the impact and the lives they live, and we know the lifelong impact of the truth even in our lives. If you're a young Christian, you say, Well, I don't, I don't know it yet. But trust me, when you live, I'm only lived, I think, 20 plus 25 years as a Christian now, it has a lifelong impact. Some of you guys have been raised in the church. I hope you would attest that there's a lifelong impact to the word of God. So third thing that, is, that motivates us to continue in the truth, and that is we find in, in the last half of verse 15, it's really not another third, a third reason that, or third thing that, uh, but it is a, it's a, it's, um, it's, a, it's a clause that modifies and describes the sacred writings. But it makes such an essential point that it really is the main reason the main reason why we'd continue in the truth. Because the lives of those who taught us the truth and the lifelong impact of the truth would not be there, would not exist if it were not for the very nature of the truth itself. And the nature of the truth itself is what we find here described for us in the latter half of verse 15. We, and, and it's the third, becomes our third point, is that we continue in the truth knowing the life-saving wisdom of the truth. Verse 15b, which... Now, in this truth, these sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul here reveals the central purpose of the sacred writings. This is the purpose of the scriptures. The scriptures exist. God gives it to us so that we might have gained the wisdom that leads us to salvation. It tells us about God's plan of salvation for the world and how you can have salvation for yourself. And what's really neat here, even as he talks about that this, this holy scriptures are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation, Paul here, actually in verse 15, he's talking about the Old Testament right now. 
He's not even talking about the New Testament. Can you find the gospel in the Old Testament? You know, that's really cool. When you think about it, you consider it. If we were to summarize the elements of the gospel, we'd be able to, we, we should be able to find, or we, uh, we should be able to find them in the Old Testament. Jesus himself said in John 5, 39, you search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. The Jewish people sought the scripture, the eternal Old Testament, because there they believed were the promises that would lead to eternal, time, eternal life. But then Jesus says, it is these that testify about me, Jesus said. That everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. It testifies of Jesus Christ. Uh, it was just a... To summarize the gospel in the Old Testament, we could still use just some of the same, the same ways that we even do in the New Testament. We could sometimes we summarize the gospel in four areas, God, man, Jesus, and faith, right? Sometimes you do that way. Uh, God, what does the Bible teach about God? Well, God is our creator and he's holy, for instance. Uh, we find that taught in the Old Testament. God is our creator and therefore we owe an allegiance to him. So we should obey him and he's holy. Therefore, we ought to be holy, but the problem is we're not. Man is not. We learn in the Old Testament that man is under the curse of sin, that we're sinners because in our very nature because of the fall, because, and it manifests in our rebellion against God, and that makes us spiritually dead in our sins. Dead people, basically spiritually dead means we can't do anything about it. Dead people can't do anything. You just, you're dead. And that's the way we are spiritually dead. There's nothing we can do about our salvation. But thirdly, God made a way through Jesus. God had a plan of salvation that he accomplished through the atoning death of his son on the cross. He promised that his son, to send his son, and it's even a, it made me think of that, the last final song, that he gave his spotless son for us. God promised to give us a, his, uh, the seed of Adam, the seed of Adam who would then come and, and defeat Satan, defeat sin, defeat the curse. And when we get back to Isaiah, we'll see that in Isaiah 52 and 53. And Jesus' death on the cross and is, is, is the means of is the provision of salvation, the accomplishment of salvation for us. And so, fourthly, we would summarize the gospel as when we need, how do we, how do then do we receive this salvation? It's through faith. Through faith. It's not a, through our sacrifices, not through any works, not through any deeds. Salvation is a free gift received by faith. Just as Abraham believed God and God reckoned to him as righteousness, right? Also, God does not desire our sacrifices and our offerings. He wants our, our hearts. He wants our obedience, a response of obedience that is a, a repentance and faith. This is the gospel in a nutshell, and, it's recovered, and, it's, and hopefully I've shown you the, by some of the Old Testament texts quoted that it is in the Old Testament. It gives the wisdom for salvation. The New Testament, when we get the New Testament, it just makes it like completely clear. This book contains life-saving wisdom. It points to our salvation. You know, at the end of this short life, all of us are gonna face judgment before our creator God. We're all gonna face judgment. And I would ask you, are you prepared to meet your maker? You know, we don't know how many days, how many years we have left. Some we may die this, this year. Have you received the promise, the provision of salvation that God has made through his son, Jesus Christ? Do you acknowledge that you come, you come to the place where you recognize who God is, that he's your creator. He desires for, to, to have a right relationship with you. He 
though you are a sinner and, and separated from him that he provided in Christ, that you through faith would receive what Christ has done in your place. Paul makes clear that salvation is through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It's through trusting in God, in what Christ has provided for us. We're not saved by your attendance at church today. You're not saved by your giving, your singing, your praying, nor your good works. You're not saved through baptism, membership, or obeying God's commands. It is only through faith. Have you believed? And if you have not, I invite you to do so today. Don't wait. Don't wait. And then secondly, I ask, if you are, when you are prepared, secondly, I ask, are your children prepared to face their maker? Are your students prepared? As the next generation, we, we tend to think that we have our children for a long, long time. Not all of us will. We must do our best as well, whatever time we have with them to pass on to them the wonderful truths of the gospel, the wisdom that leads to salvation. We all try to pass on helpful things to our children, uh, <laughs> whether an inheritance or some other practical know-how. But all of it, whatever we pass on, all of it is vain, in vain, if we don't pass on to them the life-saving wisdom of the truth, how to have a right relationship with their creator through faith in Jesus. Now, on a macro level, as a church, as a church, brothers and sisters, you know, and this is, a lot of times we think of, when we interact with the word, we think of it very personally, you know, me and me and God. But as a church, what are we doing together? I would ask us, what are we as a church passing on to the next generation? What are we putting our efforts to as a church into preserving so that the next generation will have it? You know, this city, we, sometimes you walk, you, you live in the city of Lauderdale, you see it's full of old, glorious church buildings built by a past generation that are now basically shuttered or sit empty most of the times until I go officiate a wedding there because that's how they make their money, by renting it out on Saturdays and Sundays for weddings and, and various events. You see, that past generation, they built this building to the glory of God. I, I know they, mu- they must have. They wouldn't build that for any other purpose. They passed on a building, and they, maybe they passed on a huge bank account, but they failed to pass on the truth of God, the gospel. Brothers and sisters, whatever we pass on, it'd be nice to pass on this building to the next generation. It'd be nice to see whatever is in our bank account doubled so that the next generation could have something, more money to, to do for, to serve the Lord. But if we're not passing on the truth of the gospel, the truths of Christ, the truth of God's word, may this building and our bank account burn up tomorrow. It does nothing for us. It's just another idol by which our, our, the next generation will be deceived into thinking that they're right with God because they have a big building and have a big bank account. When they don't have Christ, we must, as a church, make sure we, and, and, and I, I, I trust we're not thinking that way, but we must believe, covenant as a, as a church, to make sure we pass on to the next generation the truths that we have learned and become convinced of. These are the only things that will matter in the end of life. It is the life-saving saving wisdom of the truth. You know, 
And we do so even though the world doesn't want to hear it. Even though the world continues to grow from bad to worse, they continue to oppose the truth, they will in time begin to call those who oppose, who oppose their worldviews as criminals. And we will eventually be forbidden, like some countries to the north of us already forbid Christians in speaking out the truth of the scriptures. But we must continue to be faithful in the truth. They need it. Before you say, well, they don't want it. Why give it to them? We, brothers and sisters, have the cure, the only cure for the deadliest disease of all human history. That's the disease of sin. And it kills everyone in effects. You go to your doctor. You know, you think he's going to say, well, doctor, I don't want to hear any bad news. He would not be a good doctor. He would be, <laughs> he, he would be a bad doctor if he didn't tell you what's wrong with you if you're sick. Especially if you're dying. So we must do the thing. We must be continuing the things we've learned, become convinced of, knowing the life-saving wisdom of the truth, that it gives life to those who hear, that we as a church would pass it on. Parents, I want to leave and conclude just with three questions, and they're probing questions. And if you, you know, feel a little offended by these questions, no, I'm asking really them of myself. These are questions I'm asking myself. But I hope that you will hear Take them to heart as I've asked them of myself. If you're a teacher, disciple maker here, you can make the appropriate change and apply them to the people that the gen, people of the next generation that you are going to influence. Questions this. Parents, what is your life teaching your children? What is your life teaching your children? Not what are you, what are you teaching your children by your, you know, what you sit down and you sit to read the Bible with them. What's your life teaching them? The choices you make the things you watch, the things you do, the things you, you're excited about, things you, uh, the, the way you handle certain situations, the whole composite of our lives, what is it teaching our children? If you're, particularly if you're a parent of adult children, well, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I'm, I'm afraid. I, one day when I get to, when I get to, when our kids get up there, I wonder, I'm afraid to ask them, what has my life taught you? I hope that it's taught them that they need Christ. Is our lives teaching their need for Christ, the need for the truths of Christ? That's a great probing question we need to ask. Secondly, we ask, how are you teaching the truth of God's word to your children today, day by day? Now, you know, there are all sorts of practical ways you can teach the truth of God's word to your children day by day. You know, Moses, uh, in in teaching Israel, just talk to them about it as you're going throughout your day. You know, I'm not even saying you have to have Bible reading each night. I think that's just an easy way to do it. I'm not saying that you have to have family devos morning and night. That, that, some, that works, that structure may work for some of you. But Moses just makes it simply that whenever, wherever you're going throughout your days, wherever you have opportunity to talk about how God intersects with your world. When you, when people, when you have conflicts in your home, when you have an argument with your spouse, when you get angry with your children, when you raise your voice, when, when your family's facing some life-threatening illness or disease, how you respond to teach your children, teaches your children about the truth of God's word. Thirdly, parents, what is the most important thing that you're passing on to your children? 
What are you passing on your children? And that, at the moment of your death, if you knew exactly when you're gonna die and you have your children right there before you, if you could give them one thing, pass on to them, what would it be? What would it be? And if, you know, is it the car, the house, the bank account? I don't think so. I think for if you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Christ, you wanna give them Christ. You wanna give them faith in Christ, knowing that it is a gift of God. But you wanna give them the truths, but what we can give them is the truths of the scripture, these sacred writings that pass on them, that you would just give them the Bible. I'm handing this to you. And hopefully they will say that this book that they will receive that and say, you know, this book, they will hold on to it because this book is the way that my mom and my dad lived their lives by. And that's, when I see this book, I think of my mom and my dad. I think of their love for Christ and that's why I have a love for Christ. And that will be their guide and be there for them. It'll be their mother and father even when we're long in God because we pass it on to them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the wonderful charge of, that you give to us to, to raise up children. Lord, who is sufficient for such a task? I'm sure every parent here feel, know, recognizes how much we fall short and we fail at times, how difficult it is to be a parent. And Lord, we are humbled by it. We recognize that our, our flesh uh, just, uh, if, just causes at times to fall short, to not have that patience that we need to have. But Lord, we would ask of you to, to build into us with your word, cause us to have a sincere, consistent faith so that we live out the truths of your word to our children, to the next generation, so that they would then, in, would they too would come to believe upon Jesus Christ, that they would have gained the wisdom that leads them to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. These things we pray, Father, for our parents, for our teachers, for this church that we would be faithful to do. In Jesus' name, amen.